If you want to support this podcast and get a full ad-free episode, sign up to Headstuff Plus. This show is part of the Headstuff Podcast Network. Hello, hello, hello. Welcome to another episode of I Know That Face, the only podcast which honors the often underappreciated by the masses work of character actors. I'm Stephen Portio. My name is Andrew Carroll. I know what you're thinking. Surely we can't be covering this character actor. We are and don't call us Shirley. It's Leslie Nielsen. Woo! <laughs> Andrew, run down his history. Leslie Nielsen was born in 1926 in Canada. After serving in the Canadian Air Force during World War II, he began studying drama in New York in 1950. Initially a prolific TV actor, he was regarded as a serious leading man thanks to films like The Forbidden Planet and The Poseidon Adventure. At the age of 54, his career experienced a dramatic or comedic, depending on how you look at it, change with his role as Dr. Rumack in the Zucker Brothers disaster film spoof Airplane. Soon after, the directing duo cast Leslie Nielsen as Police Lieutenant Frank Drebin in their short-lived TV show Police Squad. In 1988, six years after the show's cancellation, Nielsen returned to the Drebin role in The Naked Gun from the Files of Police Squad. He would reprise the role twice more in The Naked Gun 2 and a half, The Smell of Fear, and The Naked Gun 33 and a third, The Final Insult. From 1987 onwards, Nielsen worked exclusively in comedies with his last dramatic roles including Prom Night, Creepshow and Nuts. Outside The Naked Gun and its sequels, many of the comedy films Nielsen appeared in, such as Repossessed and Mr. Magoo, were both box office disappointments and critical flops. He found success once more with one of the Zucker brothers, David, in his film Scary Movie 3 and 4, in which he played the oafish president Baxter Harris. In 2010, with more than 100 films, 1,500 characters and 220 TV episodes under his belt, Nielsen died peacefully in his sleep. Yeah, it was your idea to cover Leslie Nielsen. I, I can't remember how exactly it came up, but I felt like you seemed a bit depressed at like how much serious movies we were watching. And you it were like, January. can we just watch something goofy? It was January, <laughs> yeah. Well, what I remember from um, our Jared McSorley episode was um, how much we'd laughed uh, just talking about his appearance as Father Todd Unctious <laughs> in um, in Father Ted. And so I was l- looking to maybe find a character actor who we could just have that kind of five minute energy across the 40 minutes, you know, where, where it's just like, oh, God, isn't he so funny? Ha <laughs> ha. Yes. And that's, kind of, that's just kind of what I wanted. Now, now that it's April, um, I, I'm not in such a bad mood anymore. Um, uh, the weather has improved slightly. Um, but it's still fun to do. April Fool's, you mm. know, have a laugh. Exactly, yeah. Yeah. Even though we're recording this on the 6th, but no one else has to know that. <laughs> sure. Um, yeah, I, I've been obs- I was obsessed with Leslie Nielsen as a kid after watching Airplane and Naked Gun, and I, I just remember thinking, like, this man is the funniest man ever. <laughs> and then starting to, like, seek out some of the other comedies and spoofs he was in, quite a few which are not very good, although some are fun. And mm. I think he's always pretty winning. And um, he, I think he's great as the kind of George Bushy type president yeah, in Scary he's always Movie game. 3 and 4. Yeah, for sure. Uh, but I think what's interesting about Leslie Nielsen is that he came to comedy quite late in that, like, you're watching Airplane. He's an older man. Like, he was 54 when I came mm. out. And before that point was a very well-respected, you know, serious character actor. Like, IMDb have this thing where if you look up certain actors, you can see their trademarks. And for Nielsen, they have extremely serious characters in first half of career. And comedic, oblivious characters in the second half, which I've never seen before. <laughs> yeah. So, in this episode, on top of like praising Nielsen's like incredible comedic performances, like I, I Roger Ebert called him the Olivier of spoofs, which is high <laughs> praise. Yeah. Um, I wanted to shine a light on his more serious early work and kind of probe how he made that mid-career jump to being professional funny man. And um, I watched two of his 
most like iconic serious movies and two of his most iconic comedies. And I think considering them together, you can kind of see how he was able to make that transition with such ease. Yeah. 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 Um, can I kick off talking about um, Leslie Nielsen's first starring role in Forbidden Planet? Go for it. Um, yeah, so this is this uh, 50s uh, sci-fi movie set in the 23rd century. Um, Nielsen plays the commander of a spaceship, John J. Adams. He and his crew of young men are sent to investigate what happened to a group of scientists who, after being sent to a distant Earth-like planet 20 years previously, just went silent. Sort of an Ad Astra <laughs> type situation. Mm. Um, but as John J. Adams and his crew get closer to the Forbidden Planet, they get a communication from a survivor. Dr. Morbius, not Jared Leto's. Dr. Michael Morbius, <laughs> I saw you shudder, Andrew. Yeah. No, uh, Dr. Edward Morbius, played by uh, Walter Pigeon. And he's like, I'm fine. No need to save me. I'm good here. <laughs> and Adams is like, well, I have my orders. I need to see the planet, see the rest of the crew. And the doctor says, no, it's forbidden. Oh, okay. If you land, I can't guarantee the safety of your crew. And they're like, that's a suspicious thing to say. <laughs> so they land and they find Morbius living with his beautiful adult daughter, Alta, Pepe and Francis, in what looks like paradise. You know, the place is hospitable. They have a nice earthly like home. They have this awesome helper robot named Robbie who waits on them and can make seemingly anything they want, clothes, food, any materials. And Adams is thinking like, how, how is this possible? And also suspiciously, Morbius says that all the other crew he was with were killed by a mysterious force that spared him and his wife who died of natural causes later after giving birth. So from that point on, members of Adam's crew start to get killed off as he tries to get to the bottom of whatever Morbius is hiding while forming this interesting relationship with Alta, uh, Morbius's daughter. Um, had you heard an of inter- this? An interesting relationship, you say. Um, yeah, I'll, I'll get into that. Yeah, I'm sure. Um, I... I want to say I knew of it somehow through osmosis or something like that. Uh, I think... No, let's go with that. No, yeah. I haven't heard of it. Because I was only really aware of it in a name and that obviously there's the cult entertainment store Forbidden Planet mm. in, yes, on yes, the keys that's in probably Dublin what City. I'm thinking of, yeah. But also my favorite song in um, Rocky Horror Picture Show, Name Checks, like the first song in the movie where it's like, and Francis stars in Forbidden Planet. <laughs> ah, ha, ha, ha. In the late night double feature picture show. But um, after after I watched this, I was reading up about Forbidden Planet though and uh, it was quite a pioneering movie in a lot of respects. Um, it was the first sci-fi film to depict humans traveling in a faster-than-light starship of their own creation. It was the first to be entirely set on another planet in interstellar space, you know, far away from Earth. Uh, Robbie the Robot, who's a, t- a total G, a, a ledge, um, is one of the first film robots that was more than just, like, a tin can on legs. Right. Like, he has a distinct personality and is, like, an important supporting character. And also, outside of science fiction, it was the first movie of any genre to use an entirely electronic score. Like, it just sounds like Maggie, Gyllenhaal, and Frank just like jamming away on our theremin like the whole time. It's like, yeah. um, but if there was no Forbidden Planet, there'd be no drive, probably. <laughs> that's my, my big takeaway. That's a quite a joke. I'm only kidding. But yeah, um, that's a it's a hell of a yeah. But um, Gene Gene Roddenberry, who created Star Trek, cites it as one of his big influences. So it, it obviously has seeped into pop culture and stuff. All right, you can look now. Through, does it? Mm-hmm. I had a meal especially for you. Oh, I thought you weren't expecting me today. Wasn't. I don't know. I guess just something about me personally you don't like. Alter, you always look just beautiful. Then why don't you kiss me like everybody else does? Everybody. 
Hasn't your father taught you anything at all? Well, he says I'm terribly ignorant, but I have had uh, poetry and mathematics, logic, physics, geology, and biology. Of course, that's uh, it's mostly on the theoretical side. What so far? Huh? What's wrong with theory? Watching it today, it's a little dated in certain respects. Like, its scenery is very pretty, but you can tell most of it is shot indoors on a set, and it's meant to be this, like, foreign planet. Mm. Um, the special effects are very rudimentary, and I guess because of that, they're limited in what action they can do. Like, the movie is just people in rooms talking. It's yeah. a fantastical set. But it's still quite entertaining, and I'd say worth watching just because the story is pretty good in that, like, you were generally like, what the hell is Morbius's deal, <laughs> you know? And He's the living vampire, Stephen. <laughs> That's true. Um, God, I watched that this weekend. <laughs> um, <laughs> but you, you want to know, you know, what his deal is in Forbidden Planet, and the payoff is actually intelligent, not quite what you expect. And I think, like all good sci-fis, there's interesting underlying ideas and tension in the movie, mostly to do with Nielsen's character, John J. Adams, and his relationship with Anne Francis' character, uh, Alta Morbius. And uh, I get why Richard O'Brien, who wrote Rocky Horror, likes Forbidden Planet in that uh, it's quite horny for a movie made in the 50s. Right, yeah. Because um, Nielsen's character, you can always tell he's like honorable and kind, like he, there's just a grace and an elegance to the, the way the actor plays him. But Adams um, starts off the movie as quite by the book and straight laced like he's not cracking jokes a lot mm. you know he's muted and internal he's not walking into the cabin going I just want to tell you both good luck we're that's, all counting on you that's the vibe but it's not funny <laughs> you know what I mean and you know you never learn anything about the character before the events of the movie but there's a throwaway line where they mention that like to be on the mission you have to be in the prime shape of your life like it takes a lot of training and mm. Nielsen's character has worked himself up to being the chief so you get a sense that maybe in devoting his life to the job he's less developed emotionally Yeah. yeah. and the polar opposite of that is this Anne Francis character Alta who was raised in this like utopia environment like perfect away from men other than her father who treats her really well mm. so she's very confident and warm but also because she spent her whole life with just her dad there's a part of her that's very outgoing and very eager to meet other people you know particularly people of her own age or people of the opposite sex and have new experiences um, she says when she sees Nielsen's character and two of his crew like I've always so terribly wanted to meet a man and now three all at once <laughs> and Nielsen and the guys like immediately drop the serious tone they had questioning Morbius and are like oh, stop it you know <laughs> and Nielsen who's a bit shy just doesn't know where to look it's really good but um on the flip side, because Alta was raised basically in isolation, like she's naive in certain aspects in that like she wears these sort of revealing for the time, I suppose, like tight mini skirts, mm, yeah. uh, which in, in a just world, you know, a woman should be free to wear. But as Adams points out, like she's basically alone on a planet with 18 young men who haven't seen a woman in a year. And as would happen in real life, immediately one of the guys, uh, not Nielsen's character Adams, but uh, another one starts being creepy towards her, but she can't see it because she doesn't know what men are like. Right. You know, yeah. so like the guy takes her behind a rock and is basically trying to get her to kiss him by explaining the concept of kissing to her and saying like, everyone does it back on earth. Like, it doesn't have to be personal. Like, he's basically trying to get a kiss under the pretense of, I'm teaching you how to yeah. kiss. I'm doing yeah. you a favor. Uh, I, I think he says like, all, grooming, I believe they call it. <laughs> all the high society people go for it. It's healthy for you. It stimulates the body. And they kiss a few times and she says in this like very deadpan way, like, honestly, something must be wrong with me. I haven't noticed the least bit of stimulation, which is funny. <laughs> but Adams's character sees them and tells the dude to, you know, stop slacking off. But he's more annoyed with Alta for what he sees as tempting the men mm. and tells her to go and change, which uh, it's not good. And she can't understand it. Like she's yeah. like, me and the lieutenant were just trying to get a little healthy stimulation from hugging and kissing. That's all. And he's like, that's all, huh? 
it's so easy for you, isn't it? You know, no feelings, no emotions. Like he starts projecting all this weird <laughs> stuff onto her, which again isn't cool. But you get a sense that part of Adam's deep down might be jealous that she was kissing the lieutenant and she wasn't kissing him. And you can tell in the way he's always looking out for her and gazing at her like he's attracted to her. And, you know, when they argue, there is a spark opposites attract you know mm. and i think in that weird way people work because he's feigned disinterest in her like she can't get him out of her head you know and wants to impress him and she asks robbie to make her a more conservative dress she thinks he'll like and when he goes over to his next day to apologize you know because he's like a fundamentally decent guy he's a bit more open while at the same time she's a bit more mature and they're kind of meeting in the middle and they start kissing uh. and Maybe I'm a sucker for romance, but I think their courtship scenes are pretty sparky and fun and well well observed. And it also feels a little subversive for the era in that in terms of gender roles and that like she is the more competent one and he's the wallflower. Yeah, yeah. Um, because any, and you know, anytime they're on screen together, like the movie's really cooking for me. And Nielsen's great in that the character is very reserved and, and sometimes cold, but the performance is never boring. And I, I think partly because he can bounce, those traits can bounce off this different character. But also Nielsen with that great voice is just effortlessly commanding. You, like, you get why the crew would listen to him and respect him. But also like he smuggles in a few quick smirks in the early scenes as he's talking with the crew. So he's not a total robot. And then when Adams and Alt are together, you really feel Nielsen's, Nielsen's like demeanor loosen and his charisma come across. You know, his body language comes a lot more comfortable in those scenes. So I think it's subtly a very sharp performance. And um, just got to say, very hot in the movie, Nielsen. And because he's got that great voice, but instead of the gray hair, he has an airplane naked gun. He's got this slick back brunette hair, really chiseled face. He's tall. He's like six foot one, moves in this very elegant way. Like he's just conventionally very attractive. And you would think after watching Forbidden Planet that he should have had more of a career as an A-list leading man in his prime. And I'm not sure if he didn't because the John J. Adams character is by his nature slightly less easy to like than yeah. a typical hero. Or if Nielsen did get a couple of opportunities to play more leads, but the movies weren't successes. And to be honest, it may be the latter. As To be honest, I hadn't heard of a single movie he was in from Forbidden Planet in 1956 to Poseidon Adventure in 1972. And But if you look through his filmography, the thing you notice is that prior to Airplane, he was always cast as like figures of authority, or mostly anyway, figures of authority. So there's like so many lieutenants generals majors colonels sheriff probably because of Principal. that height and voice you <laughs> yeah, know what i mean yeah. um do you want to mix it up a bit just because i feel like i'm talking for ages and talk yeah, prom speaking, speaking night. of authority figures let's talk about mr hammond principal by day and disco king by night <laughs> uh so the, yeah this is um his character in prom night so he's the principal of alexander hamilton senior high school and father to siblings kim played by jamie lee curtis and, and alex played by michael tuff who doesn't look that tough. Um, <laughs> and six years before the events of the movie, uh, his youngest daughter, Robin, fell to her death. And now the teenager's responsible. Uh, all friends of Kim and Alex are being hunted down one by one by a masked killer. And I think it's easy to kind of compare this the, uh, prom night to Halloween, like almost all Salasher films are easy to compare to that. Uh, but not all can be compared favorably. Prom night can be. And it's, it has that thing where no one really looks like a teenager in it, but they're not so far removed from being teenagers that they still have or can emulate that adolescent awkwardness and false confidence really well. Uh, like there's a character called Slick who's like kind of a schlub. He's like uh, pretty heavy set. He's got this thick mane of curly hair and he drives a, a Chevrolet van. Uh, but he still manages to talk a woman called, I think her name is Jude or Wendy. I can't remember which one of the victims anyway. So, you know, she's not important, but um, he talks, he like pulls up alongside her at the curb and just within two minutes, he's talked her into being his date for the prom. And then it cuts to them 
at the prom and they're just in the back of his van having sex and smoking weed because of the rules of a slasher film things don't end well for them mm. but uh, you know it's, it is nice to see and it's one of those details that ensures that prom night stands the test of time and so many others have not and um I think rather than try to mimic like Halloween's lighting, it instead goes for this mix between kind of Halloween's deep shadows, overlit daytime scenes like in um, The Heathers or uh, and the occasional disco infused kind of giallo flair. And you may have noticed, Stephen, that I'm talking about the film more than I am the actor, <laughs> yes. you know, Leslie Nielsen. And that's no most trick of mine yeah. <laughs> when I watch a movie yeah. and the actor's in for one scene. And that's mostly because Nielsen isn't in this a whole lot. Uh, I think with that said, his role as a stern but loving father and educator is one I can easily relate to because my dad was a stern but loving father and educator. Uh, more loving than he was stern, uh, which is always nice. Uh, and he was, he was the principal in, my, in the secondary school I went to. Um, so it was nice I, I could uh, find that way into a horror movie outside of usually there's a, k- a kid with glasses and brown hair who's skinny and it's like oh the nerd he's going to die second <laughs> yes. great that I can relate to this guy um, and I think as much as I enjoy his comedies it's easy to see how respected he was as like a dramatic actor because uh, he does sorrowful really well in this mm. he's like he's pretty he's a broken down man and the only thing that really means anything to him are his two other surviving children and his job which he obviously likes quite a bit um, and I think he could have w- continued in that vein indefinitely um, as a dramatic actor but the, I, the world is definitely better off that he didn't but that's what I think they're playing off particularly in Airplane is his he has this naturally very solemn vibe yeah and yeah. they're constantly deflating at an airplane for humour it's kind of the thing if like if Leslie yeah. Nielsen knocked on my door and I didn't know anything about him I'd be like Shit! This is the Someone's scariest died man I've or ever I'm going seen. To court. <laughs> yes, yeah. for sure. Yeah, that's yeah. A, it, we maybe we should have saved him for a Halloween episode in that. Like he has kind of uh, he's showed up in a couple of iconic horror movies because he's quite good in Creepshow. That's the one. That's the one. I that's one of the ones I haven't seen. Yeah, I, I was tempted to watch it. Just yeah. I ended up watching um, other better movies. But uh, he has like a little vignette in Creepshow where he plays this guy who, on the surface, seems very charismatic and nice, but he's actually like this sadistic rich person, and he finds out his wife is having an affair with Ted Danson and he Ted Danson my god he basically um, I don't want to spoil it but he kind of torments them and uh, he's quite good is Ted Danson a tennis instructor possibly I can't remember that is it it set in a skyscraper no oh okay no I just read, read a Stephen King story that was similar um, did Stephen King wrote Creepshow didn't he I think so yeah. yes yeah, yeah. Um, it's a, a big thing about beaches in um, the Creepshow sketch oh okay yeah. fair enough yeah, um, right. anyway catch up with the Poseidon Adventure go for it a movie which in the sense that I knew Forbidden Planet from Rocky Horror I knew mostly about the Poseidon Adventure from Father Ted in that there's that you know the Speed 3 where Dougal's trapped in the milk float yeah. and Ted and all the other priests are brainstorming what to do and they're like oh the Poseidon Adventure Gene Hackman plays a priest to watch it <laughs> well that was completely useless yeah and Arthur Matthews was like he didn't even say mass actually not true he does say mass in the movie at one point but it's still a great joke yeah, um, yeah this is this uh, the part of this wave of um, 70s disaster movies like Towering Inferno or Earthquake or Airport which were kind of the prototypical blockbusters in that they had a lot of action and big starry casts and they're also what airplane goes on to spoof so well Based on novel, uh, the plot centers on the fictional SS Poseidon, an aging luxury liner on her final voyage from New York to Athens before it is to be scrapped. However, on New Year's Eve, it is overturned by a tsunami. Passengers are crew are trapped inside, and a preacher, played by Gene Hackman, attempts to lead a small group of survivors to safety. Where the devil did you come from? From my cabin, sir. Don't you realize that it's dangerous out there? 
He said cut up any time. Robin Shelby, remember? Mr. Shelby, you picked a particularly fascinating moment to accept my invitation. These waves don't bother you, huh? I surfed up to 18 feet. But these look more like 30. 35 to be exact. Some, you know, get up to 300. I find 60 about maximum. Steady up there. Steady up, sir. This is what I'd call a supremely watchable movie in that it passed my personal test of I put it on at 1 a.m. after a late work shift and not only did I stay awake, totally engrossed. Oh, okay, yeah. Um, on one level, it's... Does it pass the Bechdel test, Steve? <laughs> no, it doesn't. Okay, right. <laughs> But um, on one level, it's that standard disaster movie thing in that like you're introduced to a group of disparate characters on one location and you come interested and you like them, but then disaster strikes and they're forced to come together and put themselves in terrifying situations in the hope of surviving. That's always good. Mm. Like, I always get a lot of out of that. I, I loved Moonfall. You know what I mean? <laughs> <laughs> but um, I think The Poseidon Adventure is a step above a lot of movies in that subgenre because it's, it's co-written by Sterling Siliphant who wrote In the Heat of the Night, which Ooh. is an amazing screenplay. And all the characters in The Poseidon Adventure are a little bit more gritty, a little bit more complicated than you might expect. The movie's also aided about having this great cast play these characters like Ernest Borgnine or Shelley Winters, but um, Gene Hackman is the lead, playing this angry, righteous reverend, traveling to a new parish in Africa as punishment for his unorthodox views. It's because he believes priests spend too much time encouraging people to just pray as opposed to taking action to better their circumstances. Mm. Like He preaches the idea that like God helps those who help themselves, and that kind of becomes key to the movie as certain people on board the Poseidon aren't willing to take the drastic steps to survive that the Reverend and his mm. band of survivors are. Some just say like, I'm sure help will be on the way. I'm going to stay put. And then like water shoots in and they drown. Um, yeah. And also like what, what's good about the movie is that parts of it were filmed on a real ocean liner and it just feels tangible. Like you really can smell the oil and understand the space of the overturned ship as they move through it. And the lengthy set pieces are really good too. You, you get that kind of sweaty palm feeling watching the characters like climb up what looks like a rickety elevator shaft as water and smoke are filling in around them or having to hold their breath underwater for a couple of minutes to get from one part of the ship to the other. Like, the set pieces are pretty grounded but look incredibly difficult, making you think at home, like, could I do that? You know, probably not. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, and, uh, so it's on Disney+. Plus. I hugely recommend it to people. On Nielsen, I knew he was in the movie, but as the opening credits rolled, I was, you know, scanning him them to see where his name was to just to like as an indicator yeah, for how big his yeah. role was and I started to panic after 20 names went by and I'm like I can't see Nielsen oh dear but thankfully gets to the end and Leslie Nielsen as <laughs> the captain oh nice so he got the and which is great to see yeah. uh, he's the captain of the Poseidon spoilers only in the first three minutes of the movie he's the first to die when the tsunami hits but it, it's true him you learn about the ship that it's on its last legs and that it's delicate and he warns a representative of the ship's owner that they're going to have to move at a slower speed because the ship might not be able to stand the waves if it's going faster but the, the owner's representative orders him to go full full steam ahead mm. knowing it's unstable because it's already three days late and it's it's costing us thousands to employ a wrecking crew and you know he's forced to do it because the owner rep is like if you don't I'll relieve you of your duty and one of these other guys will do it so it's happening either way right and <laughs> nielsen says damn it man the poseidon is too fine a lady to be rushed to the junkyard on her last voyage good stuff yeah and when the rep overpowers him he just says like quietly like you irresponsible bastard <laughs> um again whole vibe i'm a psalm professional never jovial there's a kid on the ship who's really interested in the mechanisms of the liner and kind of comes important as the movie goes on but um there's a bit where he enters the space where the captain is working while he's busy and tries to talk to him the captain's like we'll continue our discussion at a quieter time <laughs> you know? he's like billy if you like movies about gladiators <laughs> um 
uh, never panics as well. Um, like while they're tracking the tsunami, he says, you know, it must be, it seems to be piling up in the shallows. And then he turns to one of his colleagues and says without a hint of emotion, by the way, happy new year. <laughs> <laughs> the most agitated he gets is when he sees the wave, he just goes, oh my God. <laughs> and then shouts, hard left, send out a mayday. And then the wave comes yeah. in. Um, and maybe it's like the captain is being set up as being one of the lead characters because you're cutting between him and Hackman and Borg Knight and Winters. So it might've been shocking to see Nielsen make such an early exit watching it in cinemas when it was released. And kind of adding to that sense that like anyone could die at any moment, you know. I kind of figured he wasn't going to be in the movie that much because uh, I saw on Wikipedia how low he was down. But um, th- again, though, I think Nielsen's a height and that voice he can project. You know, he projects gravitas even just spouting like ship jargon. Mm. And um, I suppose in hindsight, it's a little ridiculous that the character never gets hugely animated even when he's about to die. But I think it fits. He's a the, Navy man. Yeah, it fits the serious tone of the movie, and you you do think as you're watching it, that's just the way this character is. Some people are like that, or mm, that must yeah. be the temperament that you have to have to do this job because you're risking your life every time you go yeah. out, you know. <laughs> and but I do think like the people who made Airplane probably watched the Beside Adventure and thought this is the exact type of performance we need in Airplane, but also the exact type of character we want to slag. Yeah, <laughs> you know? yeah. As you heard in the intro, this show is part of the Headstuff Podcast Network, Ireland's largest network of independent podcasts. There's plenty of other great shows to check out on the network. Here's a taster of one. Hello, I'm Joe Rooney. And I'm Patrick McDonald. And we have a show called Talking Ted, which is a show about the memories, stories and insights into what has made Father Ted the egg sandwich of Irish TV shows. Yeah, we'll be talking through all the episodes and interviewing people who are on the show. And uh, reminiscing. I think we'll reminisce quite a lot. There's a lot of reminiscing. Yeah. I remember that time, but not so much this time. Yeah. yeah. I remember back in the old days, we used to reminisce a lot as well. You can find Talking Ted on the platform that you're listening to now, because we are a podcast just like this podcast. So don't forget to uh, look us up. It's absolutely brilliant, and it's out now. So listen. I Know That Face are also delighted to finally get to tell listeners about Headstuff Plus. Headstuff Plus is the one-stop shop for everything on the Headstuff Podcast Network, Ireland's largest podcast network and the one to which I Know That Face belongs. If you're a fan of I Know That Face or any other shows on the network, become a member of Headstuff Plus and get bonus episodes of Headstuff shows, other exclusive content, merchandise, early access to live events and lots more. We here at I Know That Face have already recorded a handful of bonus episodes where myself and Andrew talk about more current news and releases in the world of film and TV. But also in the future, we have plans for more actor-themed series as well, along with releasing episode outtakes, accompanying articles, etc. All for Headstuff Plus subscribers. To sign up to Headstuff Plus, it's just €5 plus fat per month. When you sign up, no matter what show or shows you are supporting, you still get access to everything. All the bonus material for all the podcasts on the network. A lot of great podcasts. Plus, by doing so, you'll be supporting I Know The Face to bring you more top material. For all the details and to sign up, visit headstuffpodcasts.com. And now, back to the show. So we're going into airplane? We will, yeah. Leslie Nielsen plays Dr. Rumac, a doctor aboard an airplane on which most of the passengers and all of the cabin crew have been struck down with food poisoning. Together with veteran fighter pilot Ted Stryker, played by Robert Hayes, and his air stewardess ex-girlfriend Elaine Dickinson, played by Julie Haggerty, they must safely land the plane in time to save all the passengers. The stewardess said... Both pilots. Can you fly this plane and land it? Surely you can't be serious. I am serious. And don't call me Shirley. Doctor, I've checked everyone. Mr. Stryker's the only one. What flying experience have you had? Oh, I've 
flew single-engine fighters in the Air Force, but this plane has four engines. It's an entirely different kind of flying, altogether. It's, it's an, an entirely, entirely different, different kind of flying. There are a few actors that can make you laugh with just their face, and Leslie Nielsen is one of them. <laughs> yeah. I think I was thinking about this, like a lot of actors will try to oversell or belabor a reaction to something absurd or surreal, but underselling it is far funnier. And the scene where, he, where Rumac walks in on Dickinson going down on or auto. reinflating Otto, the uh, <laughs> autopilot, is a perfect example. Nothing really changes in his face except that he widens his eyes. But it's funny because it's a normal reaction to an extraordinary situation. <laughs> yeah. Like if I walked in on someone sucking, what I, to, to what I thought was someone sucking off an inflatable man, I'd, I'd, I'd probably do the same. I'd widen my eyes, do a 180 and leave the room. And that's what he does. There's no extra joke or quip like there would be in a lot of uh, modern day comedies. He enters... Looks on an horrified surprise and exits. It's like, whoa. And then, and it, it, admittedly, it does show his continued reaction after he leaves the cabin. But like, it's still, you're still laughing. You don't really care. And that's the thing about this movie. Like, even if one joke doesn't work for you, there's 200 more uh, in the next 30 minutes. Yeah, that's the thing. I mean, it's just so joke dense. <laughs> you know yeah, what I mean? Yeah, yeah. You have to watch. It's like one of those movies. You have. It's like Syriana. It's the Syriana of comedies. <laughs> <laughs> you just have to watch it t- a few times to get it all in. Yeah, because not only is like there's just so many great like one-liners and quips. But surely you can't be serious, mm-hmm. or we've got to get him to a hospital. A hospital? What is it? It's a big building where sick people go, but that's not important right <laughs> now. All that stuff. Or um, there's hundreds of those kind of examples in the movie. But then on top of that, there's the visual gags. I've seen this movie like twenty times, and I the stuff I catch new every time. And it's probably because Put on the seat belts. <laughs> yeah, that's one of the ones I noticed this time. <laughs> Obviously, there's another one I wrote it down somewhere where it's about the smoking. <laughs> it's really good. But um, yeah, it's just you and you don't catch it. Not even because I think it's you put out that cigarette. <laughs> yeah, that's yeah. it. Yeah. Um, it's just one of those movies where you're you're not catching jokes because you're laughing at the joke that was 20 seconds previous. Yeah. You know what I mean? Yeah, exactly. It, yeah. yeah, yeah. Um, and also, like, I feel like so many comedies these days are the first. Not a lot of comedies being made these days, but mm. they kind of died in that sort of thing that's happening with studios now where it's exclusively big budget movies or cheap horror movies yeah. and the mid budget movie has kind of died so there's less comedies being made but I, even the comedies that have been big in the last 20 years like the Todd Phillips movies or the Jalapatan movies or even the Adam McKay Will Ferrell movies yeah. the humour in those movies is very behavioural and in the script but it's not really in the filmmaking whereas Airplane is amazing in terms of firstly really doing a good job emulating the vibe of the movies it's parodying like all these 70s disaster throws like particular there's one particularly zero hour that is very, it's like basically a remake of zero <laughs> hour and then all the airport movies in the 70s but also riffing on things like the Poseidon adventure and tearing inferno and stuff the credits the music is all perfect but then also on top of that just great visual gags mm. setting up a gag and then paying it off building up jokes throughout the movie yeah no it's El Noa you a smoko El Noa you a smoko I just caught it in my notes but like the fake magazines like Boy's Life the Nun's Nun Life. is reading Boy's Life and then it cuts to that boy Joey who's so funny yeah. and he's reading Nun's Life and he's just in rapture in a magazine <laughs> <laughs> explaining the life of nuns or um El Noa you a smoko okay. put it on the DC belts um 
I, my favorite joke treating the plane as it's taking off like a train pulling off yeah, at a yeah. station goodbye dear he's goodbye to his girlfriend better get on son. I'll write you every day <laughs> the guy at the stopwatch all aboard <laughs> yeah. um, even Leslie Nielsen's introduction like you know Julie Haggerty's air hostess oh, yeah. is looking for a doctor and one of the passengers is like I think the person next to me is a doctor and Haggerty goes over to Nielsen and says Sir, I'm sorry to have to wake you up, but are you a doctor? And cuts to Nielsen wide awake, wearing a stethoscope, being like, that's right. That's right, I am, yes. <laughs> There's just, I don't know, it's overwhelming, the amount yeah. of one-liners and visual gags, and yeah, makes it a great movie to rewatch. Yeah. I think um, what's great about the, this kind of, is that it follows like the Homer Simpson rule, rule for a lot of its characters. Like, other than the romance between Stryker and Dickinson, I think uh, every other character in this is like a Homer Simpson type. In some scenes, they're smart. In others, <laughs> yeah. he, they're stupid. Sometimes he's baffled by the they're baffled by the bizarre behavior around them. And at other points, they enthusiastically take part in it. Like he comes in on um, Dickinson reinflating Otto, and he's horrified. And then five minutes later, he's slapping a woman around, <laughs> saying, "Calm down, it's going to be all right." That's another. I was like, Doctor, you're wanted on the phone. Thank you. That's another then, great visual gag. Yeah. Where the camera pans back, and like they've got like a, a gun, yeah, <laughs> <back>. wrench, <laughs> boxing gloves. <laughs> so yeah, like as the Simpsons writer John Schwartzfelder says that says that Homer Simpson is exact, always exactly what the writer needs and wants him to be, and that's what I think Doctor Rumack is. He's a character without like basically no backstory other than the fact he's a doctor and so he's exactly what you need him to be in any given moment and you choose what you what you want him to be and uh, just for posterity's sake my favourite joke is um, uh, it's a bit of a there's two connected jokes really where there's like a, they're, all, they're almost in radar range well, check how long how long until they're in radar range and the man gets up opens a mic- microwave and goes sees a f- cooking chicken and he goes ah about two minutes chief <laughs> sits back down and then uh, he asks him to check again and he's like ah I don't know that's impossible they're on instruments and then it cuts to the cockpit and they're all in like one of them playing a cello one of them yeah. playing the trumpet saxophone clarinet <laughs> <laughs> it's far and away the funniest movie I've ever seen yeah absolutely um, I like this interaction where Rumac is talking to the captain over and that's also very funny where yeah. it's like over Roger like yeah. the, the <laughs> Vec- what's your vector Victor <laughs> yeah all that stuff Roger, huh? <laughs> um, no, the bit where uh, Rumac is talking to Captain, he's like, Captain, how soon can you land? I can't tell. You can tell me, I'm a doctor. <laughs> no, I mean, I'm just not sure. Well, can't you take a guess? Well, not for another two hours. You can't take a guess yes, for, for another, another two, two hours? hours. <laughs> <laughs> um, I want to talk about the movie's casting because mm. I think what's really interesting is that aside from Julie Haggerty and Robert Hayes, who are not very well known when the movie came out, mm. um, the basketballer Kareem Abdul-Jabbar, <laughs> which is just a very weird gag that's very funny. Um, I also think... In the trailer for that new show, Winning Time, the basketball show, there's like a still from the trailer, which is him in airplane, <laughs> which, I, which is solely why I want to watch Winning Time. Yeah. But um, also there's that guy, Steven Stucker, who is a comedian. He plays Johnny, the guy who works in the control tower. The fog's getting oh, thicker yeah. and Leon's getting larger. Or um, they're like, we have to get to the tower. The tower, Rapunzel, Rapunzel. <laughs> hey, Johnny, what do you make of this? Well, I can make a hat or a brooch or a pterodactyl. <laughs> that guy is you know, unbelievable. Yeah. But um, aside from them, though, pretty much every other main actor in the cast was primarily known for playing no-nonsense characters. Like, they're all serious people. Yeah. And I think this was with the thinking that, you know, having performers able to give viewers the feeling of watching one of those old disaster thrillers and also being able to deliver this insane dialogue completely straight will make the movie satire land stronger and be more funny, which I think it absolutely does. And um, also, I think a thing that might have helped Nielsen get cast, I just want to bring this up briefly, was that he's in this, he has this pretty funny voice cameo in Kentucky Fried Movie, which mm. was the movie that the Zuckers wrote but didn't direct before Airplane, yeah. um, where it's a guy, he goes to see a movie in Philorama, and 
it's like this erotic kind of murdery thriller and Philorama is basically like a valet stands behind him and does whatever's happening in the scene does to him yeah and you can only hear Leslie Nielsen acting in the scene but he's not you don't see him on screen <laughs> and it's like I love you darling and then you can, the usher like strokes guy <laughs> and then suddenly like the scene turns very dramatic and like someone pulls a knife on Leslie Nielsen and then the usher pulls a knife on the guy <laughs> it's very funny but um so they must have thought like oh he's game mm. you know he did yeah, that yeah, weird yeah, thing yeah, yeah. but I also think Nielsen in the Poseidon Adventure must have been a factor in his casting because, you know, I saw a great quote about the Abrams and the Zuckers movies. I, it was a review of Naked Gun 2. Sorry, Naked Gun 2 and a half. Mm. Um, the Smell of Fear. But Owen Gleiberman for Entertainment Weekly said, their comedies don't just get you laughing. They put you inside a new cracked mirror world where no detail is too small for ridicule. And as I said before, watching Nielsen in The Beside Adventure playing this captain who manages to keep himself composed and strong even when in immediate danger. It's not funny in the Poseidon adventure, but you can see how Abrams and Zucker could watch that and think, like, that's absurd. <laughs> like, how could yeah, someone yeah, stay yeah. so yeah. gap? And I'm not sure if the Poseidon adventure is specifically what they're riffing on in Cast Nielsen, or if it's just this type of serious character in general you might often see in disaster movies, or just Nielsen's persona in general. But what I love about Nielsen's performance in Airplane is that, like, yeah, never goes big, never strains for the laugh. Yeah, He yeah. plays this doctor like he's in the Poseidon adventure and just trusts that the dialogue is funny enough that it'll connect with audiences. And it's perfect, because... You get the solemn vibe, but his one-liners constantly undercut it. And it helps mm. you that the jokes are great and still quoted to this day, yeah. you know. Um, and it's worth noting as well, Nielsen's Doctor character isn't the lead in the movie. He's not in the first 35 minutes. No, like, he yeah, only yeah. shows up after the food poisoning stuff. And, you know, and the movie's short. Like, it's like 85 minutes. Mm. So, Well, there were two options. Steak or fish? No, I remember. I had the lasagna. <laughs> um, just the fact that, like, Nielsen is what you remember from Airplane... And that it basically gave him the second career as a leading actor in wacky comedies is just a testament to how much he rules in the mm, limited yeah, time yeah, yeah. He, he's in the movie. And um, also in terms of me just spotlighting another gag I really enjoyed now I'm thinking about it. I love the woman in voiceover who's concerned about her husband. Like, Oh, yeah. Frank, hey, John, Frank never has a second coffee at home. <laughs> <laughs> never vomits at home. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Well, we move on to another pretty funny comedy, Naked Gun. Sure. From the files of Police Squad. <laughs> do you have the plot there? I do. <laughs> the plot. The plot, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Leslie Nielsen plays Lieutenant Frank Drebin, a police officer in Police Squad tasked with making sure Queen Elizabeth II isn't assassinated during her visit to Los Angeles. Yeah. Lieutenant Drebin, Police Squad. Oh, I remember you, Drebin. Uh, what do you want? I want to ask you some questions. You're familiar with that face? I don't know. My memory ain't so great. Oh, yeah? Maybe this will refresh your memory. I don't know. It's still kind of hazy. How about this? Yeah, I remember him. I used to see him around. Why do you want to know? I can't tell you that. Well, maybe this will help. I really don't think I should. Yeah, you still don't think so? All right, his name is Nordberg. He's a cop. He was no cop. He was dealing H. What? I'm telling you, he was dirty. Oh, you sniveling scum. I ought to run you in right now. All right, all right. He worked at Ludwig's shipping. He tried to push something on one of my boys, I swear it. So what are you going to do about it, copper? Well, why should I tell you? Maybe this will help. I still don't think I should tell you. Can you spot me at 20? How about now? All right, I'm going down to Ludwig's office. I'll find out if you're telling the truth. He gets involved with uh, Priscilla Presley's character, Jane, I think her name is. Yeah. Riley Kyo's grandmother. Riley Kyo's grandmother. That Baz Luhrmann Elvis movie looks insane. It looks so good. Just as an aside. It looks it's, it's like he's brought wax figures to life and given them a, a bronze coating. You and I are two lonely children. I'm thinking about that line all the time. Ooh. It also looks, the scenes of Elvis on stage in that movie look like the scenes of Superman in 
Batman vs Superman: <laughs> Dawn of Justice. Yeah, yeah. Like all those like the weird religious yeah. vibes and stuff. Yeah, I can't wait for that movie. Anyway, moving on. Yeah, yeah. yeah it's just one. It's one of these movies where um, one of the only movies where uh, it's weird. Al Yankovic is the most <laughs> beloved man on earth somehow. <laughs> so you know, you're instantly like, oh yeah, I know where this is going. And I I will say this. I think in terms of jokes that land versus jokes that don't land, I think the Naked Guns see the Naked Guns series of jokes are is the hit to miss ratio is higher than airplanes. Yeah. yeah, I also think it's to do as well with there's a lot of stuff in Naked Gun that's very specifically American. Yeah, because there's the bit at the base of all game at the end where. Yeah. I do find that a bit funny. <laughs> well, it's the thing where it just goes on. It goes on for ages. Yeah, yeah. yeah, in like a ninety-minute movie, uh, or even shorter. Um, and I think it's it's always great to see a character of the type that Lee Marvin or like Charles Bronson used to play, taking down a few pegs. Of course, neither Marvin nor Bronson would even dream of doing this, so it, it kind of feel, falls to Nielsen to to skewer them. Um, and while he's obviously the star of the Naked Gun, I think the real diamond in the rough is George Kennedy. He's really the police good. captain, um, and he, he seems to have actually taken lessons from Nielsen's performance in Airplane, in that he undersells a lot of the reactions to his jokes, or uh, undersells a lot of his reactions or his jokes. Um, and he's in all four of the airport movies, or at least four of the airport. Yeah, movies. and he was very annoyed that he wasn't in Airplane. <laughs> he was like, "Please let me be a naked gun because I I I really miss." I'm sad that I missed the opportunity to parody myself in yeah, airplane. Yeah. In airplane, yeah. And uh, just <laughs> the way where the police scientist shoots the cufflink tranquilizer into him, he's like, "Why?" <laughs> Falls over. <laughs> yeah. Or when um, it's not really a spoiler, but when Ricardo Montalban, I guess it is, if you care about the plot <laughs> to the yeah. Naked Gun, uh, where Ricardo Montalban is crushed by a truck, elephants, a steamroller, and a marching band at the end, he's uh, George Kennedy starts crying and he's like that's horrible, horrible. <laughs> my father went the same way <laughs> uh, <laughs> it's still really funny yeah. I know it, it's yeah, like no it is fun. no don't get me wrong it is no. really, all of those movies are really funny especially the joke in the in, in the Naked Gun 33 and the 3rd which is the cold open with the, from the, <gasps> the Untouchables the Untouchables yeah. like, oh no disgruntled male workers <laughs> <laughs> um, you kind of touch on something I wanted to raise in that um you know, Nielsen is incredible at delivering just the most hilarious, insane dialogue with not only a straight face, but like he's in a Shakespearean play. I love the Dirty Harry spoof in the movie where he's like, the bit where she, the mayor says like, Drevin, I don't want, any, want any more trouble like you had last year on the South Side. Understand? That's my policy. And he's like, yes, well, I see five weirdos dressed in togas stabbing a guy in the middle of the park in full view of a hundred people. I shoot the bastards. That's my policy. And the mayor's like, that was a Shakespeare in the Park production of Julius Caesar, you moron. You killed five actors. <laughs> Good ones. I love the specificity of like, it would be fine if he killed five bad yeah, actors, yeah, yeah. you know? Or the bit where um, Norberg, OJ Simpson is in this movie, <laughs> you should yeah, say. For clear, yeah. But um, the bit where, um, you know, he's in the hospital and it's meant to be that OJ Simpson's character is shot while tracking a boat that's shipping heroin yeah and he gets um, shot like multiple times stands in a bear trap <laughs> closes a window on his hand and yeah. all this stuff and he's uh, wet paint and he, he stove. he's fine he's taken to the hospital and he's a bit like in and out of a coma but mm. Frank is like going up to his ear and he's like how did this happen and he's like I love you which was the name of the boat and yeah. he's like I love you too <laughs> and he's like 
boat. And he's like, yeah, when you're better, we'll go out on the boat. It's going to be great. We'll have a great time. And he's like, drugs. He's like, nurse, get this person drugs. Yeah. He's a like, heroin. heroin. You're going to have to give me a few days. Yeah, that's a t- pretty tall order, Nordberg. <laughs> or um, when the bad guy offers him a cigar and he's like, Cuban? He's like, no, Dutch Irish. My, my father f- was Welsh. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Would you like a nightcap? No, thank you. I don't wear them. <laughs> <laughs> the whole thing with the 20 books, you know, where yeah. he's uh, trying to bribe the guy. No. Why uh, do you want to know? I can't tell you that. What with this? Yeah. <laughs> and um, I also think it's worth pointing out that while so much of Nielsen's appeal is appearing in these wacky scenarios and playing it totally straight, I think because he's the lead here as opposed to Airplane and maybe because the bumbling detective is more of a comedic archetype, mm. I think you can feel him in the more slapsticky scenes embracing physical comedy in a way that he didn't in Airplane. I think he's pretty good at it too. Yeah. Yeah, like, absolutely, yeah. You know, the bit where he drops the expensive pen in the tank filled with the fighting fish and he's trying to interrogate the guy. <laughs> he's like getting bitten on the nose and bitten on the finger. Yeah. Like, it's good stuff. Yeah. Or, yeah, the, as you mentioned, like the very long uh, finale in the baseball stadium, but where he has to pretend to be an Italian opera singer <laughs> and then an umpire. Yeah. Like, it's pretty funny. And um, I think just watching Airplane on its own, you can make the argument that Nielsen was just deployed well, but Naked Gun and sequels show like, oh no, he is yeah. one of the funniest people alive. And yeah. Just so rare that a character actor gets the opportunity to suddenly star and be the leading man in a trilogy of iconic movies in their 60s. Like it's maybe yeah, never happened before. Yeah, yeah. You know? And just again, uh, like Airplane, Naked Gun, also just really good visual gags in that movie too, like which I kind of miss from comedies these days. Like when he's on the ledge, and you see the statues out there with him that have the big penises. Yeah. You know that it's going to end with him hanging off the penis. And yeah. you're kind of thinking like, oh, I'm better than Wuha. It's so obvious. Yeah. And the way it gets to that point is so funny. <laughs> like <laughs> The he, statue he, smiles when he's grabbing it. Yeah, yeah. yeah. So good. Um, do you want to hit Scary Movie 3 before we wrap up? Yeah, sure. Leslie Niel- Nielsen plays President Baxter Harris, the oafish, loudmouthed and politically incorrect President of the United States. That's politically incorrect because he's rude, not because he's incorrect in his politics although the argument could be made of that as well after a cursed videotape is discovered by long-suffering final girl slash reporter Cindy Campbell played by Anna Faris and aliens are found to be making crop circles on the farm owned by brothers Tom played by Charlie Sheen and George Logan played by Simon Rex uh, Simon Rex is hysterical in Scary Movie 3 I was so watching clips funny, from yeah. it and he's, that's the last time I ever try to bring someone back from the dead also He's awesome in Red Rocket. Red Rocket is an incredible movie. I haven't Go seen see it yet. I can't wait. This disparate group of idiots must band together to save the Earth. Who the hell is this Cindy Campbell? If what she says is true, we're facing an unprecedented crisis. Get me the president. You are the president. Good. Then they already know about this. That's what I want. Sir, I think you need to go on TV and convince the people that there is no such thing as a UFO. Don't spell in front of me, damn it. Alien, sir. There's no such thing as alien. That's not quite true. Sir? A year ago, a UFO crash-landed in New Mexico. A body may have been recovered. May have been? Well, there was a terrible mix-up. It was Thanksgiving. The body was sent down to the kitchen. They shoved stuffing up its ass, and we ate it at a state dinner. That's the last I saw of it. Go scratch that. There were some sandwiches made the next day. Mr. President! Listen to me carefully. Agent Thompson! Back away from that window! What, did I forget to put my pants on again? No, sir. It's just a feeling I've been having since the news about the aliens. Something's not right. I know what you mean. It's like that feeling that something's not right. He's not introduced until, similar to Airplane, until much later uh, in Scary Movie 3. And um, 
after he sees the videotape, he decides, oh, we're going to catch these aliens out by uh, or we're going to do something to um, distract the American public from the aliens and the cursed videotape. So we're going to give awards to like people with disabilities or people who have helped people with disabilities or charitable causes. And he, they somehow him and his bodyguard, Ja Rule. He's uh, funny too. Yeah. <laughs> I'm frightened, sir. <laughs> um, decide to give out bobbleheads of Mother Teresa. And then um, he's, they, they convince themselves that the that the people with disabilities in a very politically incorrect joke are actually aliens. Oh, no. <laughs> this guy comes up with a voice box disability and uh, says, um, thank you, Mr. President. And he, he turns from, I knew it. It's happening. You'll never take me alive. And it's, <laughs> you could call this performance a parody of George W. Bush's early years, but it's so broad. It, it could be any kind of like hated president. And in fairness to Baxter, he comes to an understanding with the aliens all voiced by Tom Kenny of Spongebob fame, after they reveal their love for the porn tape Pootie Tang and their need to urinate from holes in their index fingers. Oh, so we're really not so different after all. And he just pisses out of his index finger. Um, and I think, like, the scary movies, I think they're still good. Um, I think they're, like... They're more scattershot and they're more... That's very true, they're yeah. They're more, yeah. like... Like, in all fairness, it is scary movie, and I do enjoy the eight mile parody yeah, <laughs> in scary movie yeah, three. But yeah. it's, I don't know why it's parodying it in scary movie. Yeah, yeah, it's true. Yeah, or the same one. Like scary movie before is a massive War of the Worlds parody. And it's like it's more science fiction than anything else, really. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, and I think these movies are all kind of weirdly dated. And certain moments, certain moments in Airplane and the Naked Gun are movies are too. Like the Gerald Ford joke in Airplane is similar to the basketball sequence in Scary Movie Two, which it's just like. A, like a, tra- a music track created by like scuffing sneakers and the bounce of a basketball um, but it, again it's almost impossible to make it like a, pi- a timeless parody movie um, there are timeless jokes but very few timeless movies and I think the mark of a timeless movie is that the first thing you think of is the original sequence or film rather than all the parodies riffs or copycat case in point The Ring and Scary Movie 3 mm, mm. yeah good point yeah yeah I just I think with Scary Movie three I actually like Scary Movie three and four more than one and two just because it does have a little bit of that airplane vibe. Yeah, it's got that, better energy. I think. Yeah. Like, do you remember the sheriff comes around to Charlie Sheen's and her hat just keeps getting bigger. She's and like, bigger. oh, nothing weird ever yeah. happens around here, and her hat is growing. <laughs> <laughs> like those kind of things feel very out of Naked Gun or airplane. Yeah, yeah. What a man! What a man! Yeah, what a man! Um, <laughs> I wanted to ask you: Have you heard about the Naked Truth? No. This is amazing. This is a fictional autobiography co-written by Nielsen, allegedly telling the inside story of his life and acting career. It was released as a tie-in for Naked Gun 3. Sorry, Naked Gun 33rd and a 3rd. Mm. Um, it's out of print now, so I haven't read it. But it's written in the style of Naked Gun, with just absurd statements inflating Nielsen's importance in the mm. history of Hollywood. And it also features photographs um, with Nielsen superimposed on an unrelated scene, one of which shows him teaching James Dean how to act. <laughs> <laughs> Pretty amazing joke. Yeah. yeah. Uh, I would love to. If anyone can, like, send me a copy yeah. of that, I would love it. Um, sounds incredible. Uh, rate and review and subscribe wherever you get your podcast from. Email I know that facepod at gmail.com. Follow the Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. Thanks to Johnny Fernandez for our help with the show. If you love I know that face, please consider donating five euro a month to us through Headstuff Plus, where you can find special exclusive bonus episodes. We've multiple available now, including a few in our Leading Legends series. Focus on A-listers like Brad Pitt, Denzel Washington, Jodie Foster, and most recently, Christian Stewart. Andrew, where can people find more of your work? You can find me at the Headstuff Gaming section where we talk about what we play, why we play, and how we play it. You can check me out at geo.ie where I write about news and the odd entertainment story. See you later, Cinefuzz. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. 
This show is part of the Headstuff Podcast Network, a hub for the creative and the curious. Shows are produced in association with Headstuff and the Podcast Studios Dublin. Find out more or become a member at headstuffpodcasts.com. If you want to support this podcast and get a full ad-free episode, sign up to Headstuff Plus. Plus.